Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. And I'd like to get through this tonight and then uh, have a time of prayer if we could split up and have some prayer together. And uh, we'll just thank the Lord for who He is. And uh, by the way, I hope that you're thankful today that you're saved and that you know you're on your way to heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin and uh, that we have the Word of God. Aren't you thankful for that? We have the Holy Spirit in us that guides us into all truth and that light. The, the Bible says the path of the just shineth brighter and brighter. And uh, we're thankful for that. I, I'm just so grateful for the grace of God and for his blessings and especially the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And I, I've said it before and I'll say it over and over again. The greatest life ever is the Christian life. It really just is. Consider the alternative. And I don't know how people cope without Christ. I don't know how people go to sleep at night without knowing for sure they're on their way to heaven and uh, and how how parents, you know, I, I guess they just don't think about it. Parents who are unsaved sending their kids off to an unsaved institution and just saying, see you later, you know, party on or whatever they do. And then just however they live their life. I, I can imagine that. Um, and, and I'm just so, so grateful for the blessings of God. I sincerely am so thankful. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We started last week preaching this message called Avoiding Capture. And Paul here uses some very unique vocabulary in verses 8 through 10 that we used to form this outline. And I want to go back, and I'll take a running stab at it. We'll go back up and begin in verse 6, and then we'll go down through verse 10. And then what we'll do is we'll go back through the outline and make sure that we have the first two filled in. Uh, If you have your outlines from last week, then you can. If not, we'll just go ahead and fill them in for you. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, the Bible says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. And then here's where we come into this military language. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him, that is Christ, is who we're speaking of, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Let's let's have a word of prayer here, and then we'll... Uh, go into our lesson. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you sent your only son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross. We thank you for shedding your blood and for your sacrifice, Lord. We thank you that by your grace we can be saved through faith and that not of ourselves. God, it is totally the gift of God. If it's of works, we'll have no problem boasting about it. We can't get saved by being good, by just saying, well, I believe in God. Uh, Certainly, uh, Lord, it would be um, it would be an amazing thing for us to stand at the cross of Calvary two thousand years ago and see the price you paid for sin. And yet, Lord, we don't have to stand there to realize that we are, in fact, guilty under the law of God and worthy of death and worthy of going to hell. But you saved us, and for that, we're grateful. I thank you for a personal testimony of salvation. I thank you, God, for my wife. And I thank you for her help in raising our kids. I thank you for our children, for their salvation. I thank you for their testimony. <clears throat> I thank you for this church that they've been raised in. and God, the influences that have been the fingerprints that are on their life. I thank you so much, uh, Lord, for uh, the opportunity to watch another one of our children be shot off as an arrow. 
And I pray that you'd watch over her, that you'd protect her, that you'd provide for her. And I pray that you would then help our family to continue to grow in grace and uh, wisdom and knowledge as to who we are now. And Lord, I pray that tonight, that each of us that are here, that we would sincerely uh, seek to hear your voice and that we would seek to follow you, that we would take our lives and make them about you and not about us. I thank you for the warning here in Scripture. And I thank you, God, that your book is not only a book of do's and don'ts, but it's a book of awareness and that we should be fully aware of what's going on around us and the time that we live in. And that, God, the people that are living around us who need Christ. And so we thank you for the opportunity to study your word tonight. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you so much for giving us the Spirit of God. We pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you'd have liberty tonight. And I pray that you would bless this place and these people that are here. God, I don't know every need in every heart, but I'm sure thankful that we believe in a God who does. I thank you that you are very intimately familiar with every one of us. And God, our failures, our potential, uh, Lord, our walk with you, our relationship with you. And God, I don't think that there's a person in here who doesn't want to have a closer walk with you. So I pray that you'd provide that tonight as we draw nigh unto you. I pray that you would draw nigh unto us. And I pray that you would provide us a healthy time of Bible study. And God, that you would give us, uh, Lord, just a midweek refresher as we go through this week. We thank you for health and grace to be here tonight. Pray that you bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. We said last week that, um, that the, as Paul continues here in this passage of Scripture, that he's using... Uh, military images and he says beware lest any man spoil you and that word we talked about means to be taken captive Uh, it means to carry you off captive and we tried to define that by bible terms you'll remember that in the bible uh, when a kingdom was conquered then they had the spoils and that's the idea is you're taking what belongs to them and you're removing it by force that's what paul's saying here And, and it's interesting to me that it says beware lest any man spoil you that that uh, that that there would be people involved in the ruining of our life, and so I want to go through this outline tonight, and I, I don't want to take too much time on the first two points, just for the sake of we've already preached it last week, and uh, and then we'll get to the last uh, two points. So number one, we said that there here in the passage of scripture, verse eight, there's an exhortation to caution, and that comes from the word beware. The word beware there means to have full faculty of sight. And that is that God doesn't want us to walk around ignorant of Satan's plan. We said, letter A, the threat is very real. And even Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So Paul is saying here, like he's saying over and over again, he's saying, listen, I want you to know that the threat is real. You have an adversary. Of course, we know that. 1 Peter 5.8 talks about the adversary, the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may Devoured. I don't think anybody sitting in a Bible-believing church would disagree that we have an enemy. We can all agree on that, all right? This is Satan. So the threat is real. Secondly, we said the enemy, that is Satan, is resourceful. And we go back there to, to verse 8, and it said, Beware lest any man. And I want to remind you that we tend to forget that Satan's subtle attack on the truth and our testimony can come from any person around us at any time and we wouldn't necessarily see it coming. That's why Paul said, "You look, I want you to beware. So we think it always has to come, you know, from the criminal, uh, somebody who's a derelict, somebody who's on the streets, somebody that's, you know, a drug addict, somebody that's just bent on evil. 
And yet we know that there are good people that can be turned by Satan to be used against us. And the fact the Bible says, uh, talking about the enemy being resourceful, I fear lest any meet, but lest by any means, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so that your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So lest by any means, that means that any people uh, that I'm, anybody that I'm familiar with is fair game to Satan. Satan can twist anybody. I'm sure when Paul was writing the later epistles, and he talks about the, he mentions I can't think of their names right off the top of my head, but he mentions two specific people in the church that was causing division. And how they had left and gone their own way. I'm sure that at some point in time, people were not uh, people in the church were not thinking, "Oh, these guys are going to be a source of problems for our church." And yet they were turned by by uh, Satan. And so he's resourceful. The Bible talks about his having his own ministers turned into ministers of light, and uh, and so on. So we see an exhortation to caution. Secondly, we said. They're here mentioned in the passage are the elements of capture. Now, Paul says, beware lest any man spoil you. If the devil's going to come in and use somebody to get you out of the way, if he's going to be taken captive, you need to beware. Well, here, uh, he says there's some elements to this matter of being captured. And, and, and you need to understand the way the devil is always going to work. At least, I, I like to think of this way. When the Marines hit Okinawa, when they hit Iwo Jima, the Navy, when they would send them in, would send a barrage of artillery off of the battleships, and it was called softening the beach or the landing zone. And they would soften it and soften it and soften it by taking the defenses down. And they would, they would hit these big places on the island through intelligence, and that would allow the Marines to go ahead and hit the beach, and there would be less fighting, right? And so I want you to understand that the devil does the same thing. And the way that he softens these attacks is by using the world. The world is his favorite artillery piece. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For any man love, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the pride, I'm sorry, the lust of the eyes, is the devil's, not playground, it's his battleground. And he's going to use everything he possibly can to keep us distracted so that by any means any person can get into us. Paul said, look, you need to be aware. Now that's not saying that we need to go around and be paranoid. I need to watch out for Chris because I don't know if the devil's using him today. You know, that's not what he's talking about. But he does want us not to be ignorant of the fact that by some spoken word or some subtle act or by something that's done, we're not look at that and go, whoa, wait a minute. That doesn't look like the spirit of God. That looks different. I don't feel right about that conversation. That just seems a little odd. Have you ever had those conversations? Or you see, a, 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 or it's a text or an email or a, or a phone call, or you're in the presence of someone and they just seem a little off. Listen, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And you need to be aware, if something is not right, that you need to examine that for what it is. Don't be ignorant, because why? Because the devil's goal is to capture and destroy all of our testimonies and to make us useless in this world now he talks about several things here look what he says it says in verse 8 beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after tradition of man after the rudiments of this world and i talked about that word rudiments and we said that that word rudiment has to do with elements and he's saying look there there this world has factors involved and that's the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and the pride of life but within those elements, he specifically says here, through philosophy and vain deceit. 
So we kind of took them out of order. Let's look at letter A, vain deceit. Vain deceit. That is, all that we are tempted with is hollow, that's vain, and deceptive, and certainly is not new. What do I mean by that? Well, the devil's been playing this game for a really long time, and he's super good at it. And he wins, unfortunately, more than he loses. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to win. I like to play games, but I hate to lose. And I am, in our family, the biggest loser. I really am. Now, if you're losing weight, that's great. But I, I'm not talking about losing weight. I'm talking about losing games. In fact, normally, I'm just, I wear the hat of game fodder. I'm just in here to throw cards for you guys to win. And, you know, I'm participating so that you guys can have fun. And, 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 and yet, when I get close, what, what makes it worse is when I get close and I think I'm doing okay. And then all of a sudden, boom, game's over. And I'm like, <clears throat> I invested too much into that. I just, just, I'm a loser, right? Well, the devil doesn't lose very often, and there's a reason for that. It's because there's not enough Christians who are aware. They're just not. There are too many that are ignorant. There are too many that are using this life for themselves, and they're allowing the devil to take them away captive. So this vain deceit. Um, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 25, Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Or vain things. So we're familiar with this, the idea of being hollow. It's, it's not worth anything. You know, uh, the wisest of God's people was deceived by all the world. His name was Solomon. By all the world had to offer, and he discovered the same thing that it was empty, deceiving, and not new, and contrary to the fear of God. Solomon said over and over again, remember I said last week, I said, look, Solomon was like, though I maintained my wisdom, I'm paraphrasing, I gave myself to anything that I saw. If I wanted servants, I got me servants. If I wanted to plant plants, I planted plants. If I wanted to build buildings, I built buildings. If I wanted to buy cars, I bought cars. Everything he said, he gave himself, indulged himself in all of it. And at the end of all of it, he said, man, that was a vain thing. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. It was not, not only, it not only did it leave me unsatisfied, but I have this desire, lust of the flesh and this desire, the lust of the eyes. And I feel like I deserve this because he says that over and over again. I, I, if I wanted it, I had it. And at the end of it all, it was empty. At the end of it all, he was like, look, this hurts my spirit. This isn't in line with the fear of God. So Paul says, look, that's the same technique that the devil's been using and it's been working. So why change the game plan? If it works over and over and over again, I'll just by any means use it in that person's life. They're not looking for it anyway, Right? Letter B, we've talked about the philosophy of men. And I said this at the beginning. Remember that philosophy is not inherently wrong. The word philosophy means to love wisdom, all right? Philosophy, it's, it's not the philosophy that's the problem. It's the foundation of that philosophy or that wisdom that makes it right or wrong. So the love of wisdom is not wrong, but it's the basis or the foundation or the object of that wisdom which makes it right or wrong. Now, we know from, or from Proverbs chapter 2 that true wisdom comes from the mouth of God, all right? And, and, and we talked about this. The, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. In fact, I had you turn in your Bible at James chapter 3. It talks about a wisdom that's from above and from below. And what you find the wisdom of this world is earthly, earthly sensual, and devilish. And it talks about envying and strife and confusion and every evil work. And, and, and this is this is not from above. The wisdom from above 
is pure and peaceable and gentle. So there's a huge difference. Um, you could write maybe in your notes this way. It's a biblical worldview or man's view of the world. Okay, so philosophy is to love wisdom. Man's philosophy is man's wisdom. But there's the spiritual philosophy. That's the Bible-based, all right? So the world tells us then how to dress, how to talk, how to work, how to live, how to love, how to spend money, how to sing, how to listen, how to eat, how to marry, how to exist, where we come from, why we're here, and what to do to get the most out of this life with the least amount of effort. Now, the scary thing, I said this last week, is not the amount of people who follow the philosophy of man, but the amount of Christians that do. That's the sad part. When we look at the world and we see them, you know, just following it like this is huge flood of immorality or decadence, whatever, and they're just going down there. We shouldn't be shocked. They're lost. That shouldn't bother us as much as how many Christians are in that same pool going in that same current. All right. So he talks about vain deceit, talks about philosophy. Then thirdly, we talked about the traditions of men. Now, there are traditions in the Bible that Paul says that he handed down, and those would be biblical traditions. We talked about the Lord's table. We talked about baptism, preaching, the gathering together, prayer, all those things. Paul's saying, listen, I'm not handing you anything that Jesus didn't have the disciples, so I want you to take care of those things, all right? But we also know that the devil, because he can by any means do whatever it takes to take us captive can take the traditions of man and use them against us. We talked about, I talked about how I've had families in our church over the years that get saved and they have a family tradition that takes place at the same time church takes place. And that tradition keeps them from growing, keeps them from hearing preaching. Or, you know, whatever culture they're from, their culture has this tradition. And I've had people sit down with me and say, what do I do? And I say, what do you mean, what do you do? You have to decide. Does God want me here or does God want me there? And whatever decision you make, you need to understand you don't get to pick the consequences. Those consequences are already predetermined. So the traditions of men, look, if the devil will use anyone and anything, it doesn't really matter what it is. The devil can use Christmas. He can use Easter. He can use anything. And Paul says, look, I'm just warning you here that not only do you have an enemy, but he's so subtle, he will take things that are right around you and in vain deceit and philosophy and by traditions of men, he will steal you away. Even in churches, if we're not careful, our man-made traditions are usually more important to us than God-given doctrines. And that's how we ended it last week. So letter A should be exhortation to caution. Letter B should be elements of capture. All right, now, Let's, let's go on here and, and, and think down in verse uh, 9 and 10. All right? So it says, beware uh, that they're, you're teaching this thing. The last part of verse 8 says, and not after Christ. All right? So now you know who, they're gonna, who he's going to, uh, Paul's talking about in verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. All right, so let's talk about number three, the essentials of completion. All right, the essentials of completion. So Paul, now, now think about this, and I didn't, I didn't do our pop quiz like we did last week, but remember that these Christians are being influenced by a lot of different things, a lot of different people. And because they're at the crossroads 
of so many metropolitan things, whether it's politics or religion uh, or philosophy, Paul says, okay, what I want you to understand is the devil can use all this stuff. It's not inherently bad, but he can use all this stuff against you, all right? And here's what he says. But what I want you to understand is all that the world has to offer is not going to bring you fulfillment like Christ. Because in him, that is in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay? It's real. And he makes it real. And it says in verse 10, And ye are complete in him. So what, what did Paul do? Paul gave the true and lasting antidote to all false teaching. He gave the true and lasting antidote to anything that we think that this life is going to give us to make us content and complete and fulfilled. He said, if you're going to try to go and get the fulfillment and completion, find your own identity, find your own security, find the fulfillment with all that this is going on, then you're going to miss. You're going to be taken captive. It's all vain. It's all deceptive. Your completion is in Christ. You need to live right there. All right. Now, why follow the empty philosophy? Why follow the empty lifestyle of the world when we have fullness in Christ? Why, why, why do that? Why do we get so easily hooked because every man's drawn away by his own lust and is enticed, right? And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. All the truth that we have, that this is like turning away from the satisfying high Sierra River to drink in the dirty cisterns of San Francisco. That's exactly what it's like. It's like here's Jesus saying, look, here's the life that I have for you. It's full of love. It's full of joy that my joy might remain in you. The peace that I have, I've given you because I've overcome the world. And I'm giving it to you freely by grace because I love you. And this is the life that I have for you. And I want all of them that are living like that to see that this life is better. So live that life. And yet Christians every day are duped. And instead of us influencing the cisterns of San Francisco, the cisterns of San Francisco are influencing us. They have more influence on us. This is like turning away. God's trying to help us in a substantial way that by seeking to find acceptance and fulfillment in this world, you will come up empty. Don't be deceived. That's what Paul's saying here. Instead, direct all of your attention to the one who completes us all, and that is Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for in him dwelleth. All right? Now, I want you to look at verse 9 here. It says fullness. See that word? Fullness. Fullness means the sum total of all that God is. All of his being and all of his attributes are in Jesus Christ. So I don't have to seek the Father in order, uh, 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 in order to say, look, well, Jesus, you're just not enough. No. Remember when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me? Somebody spoke up, Philip, and said, well, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And I don't know the look that Jesus had on his face. I can't wait to give it to heaven and find out what that must have been like. So Jesus does all this stuff, raises Lazarus from the dead. He's feeding thousands of people. People are now seeing and walking and talking and doing all stuff they couldn't do before they met Jesus, right? And, and Philip pipes up, and in really, you don't really hear about Philip ever, except going to Nathaniel and saying, we found the Christ, come and see him. The only other time you hear him and say, well, Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, it'll do. You know, after all that he's seen, 
I don't know if Jesus was like, what did you just say? I don't know. I don't know what the look was. But he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? So when you think about that statement, I'm getting goosebumps. Jesus is saying, all that you need, Philip, is right here. And I'm fixing to go to the cross and die. And when I get out of that grave, there's probably a reason we don't ever hear from Philip after that ever again. Right? You do hear about Thomas because he's just that way. But you don't hear about Philip ever again. It was almost like, I, you know, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> you know, that's the, kind of the way you, you picture him. Um, this word fullness was used by the Gnostics, but they did not give it the same meaning that Paul did. The Greek word is pleroma, and it was the source. They used it as the source of all the emanations through which men could come to God. So they thought there was, you know, there was all these other ways that men were supposed to grow closer to God. And that's not what Paul used the same word, but he used it in a different way. So for the Gnostic, the highest point or the religious experience was to share in these emanations. And that's how you were going to uh, be revealed to God or God revealed to you. Now, listen, there are no emanations from God. Jesus Christ was the son of the living God. He showed himself alive. He was full of grace and truth. He was God the Father present on the earth. That's the only thing that's ever come from God on this earth. The only other one that still hears what's living inside of you, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. And of course, we can't see that, right? So, of course, there are no emanations from God. The gulf between heaven and earth was bridged in the incarnation of Christ. He is, remember, in Matthew chapter 1, Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So Jesus Christ is the fullness of God, and that fullness dwells continually and permanently in him bodily. And if you're saved, it's in you bodily. All that you need to be completely fulfilled is Christ. Now, you either have him or you don't. John 1, 12, but to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, to everyone that believeth on his name. They're not saved by the blood of goats, but by the blood of the cross, and not by the will of man, but by the will of God, according to John. So if I'm going to have God dwelling in me, shouldn't it be enough? That's what Paul's saying here. The remarkable thing is every believer, every believer, doesn't matter how long you've been saved, it doesn't matter how many times you've been in church. It doesn't matter how much Bible you read. It doesn't matter how much time you spend praying. It doesn't matter your failures. Please listen to me. Every believer shares in that fullness. Colossians 2.10. Look at it. And ye, that's plural. Every believer. And ye are complete in him. You could say it like this. You could rewrite it right there for you. I am complete in him. In fact, let's say that together. Ready? I am complete in him. Let's put Christ on the end of it so we know who him is, all right? For I am complete in Christ. Let's say it again. I am complete in Christ. Now, the tense of the Greek verb indicates that this fullness, and here's the crazy part about the Christian life, is a permanent experience. Because I didn't do anything to gain salvation in Christ. I can't do anything to lose him. Okay? No matter what I go through, it's not going to separate me from that fullness. 
not even the love of God, for nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right? Nothing. What's the difference? The difference is what we do with it. The difference is what we do with everything else around us. So there's a big reason why Paul is saying, beware. What's to be taken captive? My heart from being complete in Christ. My own view of this world being taken captive, so I'm no longer satisfied with Jesus. Let's break it down a little bit better. I'm no longer satisfied with God's provision in my life, with my family, with my wife, with the amount of money that I'm making, with the friends that I have, the church that I go to. I'm not satisfied with all these things. I need something else to be satisfied. No, you don't. If you're saved, you have everything. Amen? If you're saved, you have everything in you. Why? Because it doesn't say you are complete in the world. It doesn't say you're complete if you have that guy or that girl. It doesn't say you're complete if you have that degree or that job. It says you're complete in Christ. You are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, one writer says it this way. This is kind of cool. He writes this verse, and you are in Him having been completely filled full with the present result that you are in a state of fullness. <laughs> in other words, you can't get any more full. You're always full and complete and completely fulfilled in Christ. If you allow yourself, you can be duped to thinking that you're not, and your thoughts can be taken captive, and your heart can be taken captive, and eventually... Because if your heart gets taken captive, what's going to happen? Your life's going to follow. And they say, no, 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 don't do that. You need to realize this. Reckon it to be so. He says it to the church of Corinth. So let's think about this completion process and talk about the essentials of this completion. And I want to I kind of break it down, try to be as practical I can here as I can here at the end. We find our completion in three ways. Okay, letter A in the promises of Christ. Now remember, it says you are complete in Him. So, when Jesus speaks, if you have a red letter edition Bible, you understand that those are the words of Christ. Those should be very cherished words for you. They should be, wow, this is, this is God manifesting the flesh. What He's saying to me, right here in the presence of His disciples, He said to them, right? So I'm not the only one that's ever heard these words. It's got to be something special. Um, all that God is in Christ is founded on his word. Everything that you know Christ to be, you would never know without the word of God. Period. You can't know Christ outside the word. You can't get saved outside of the Bible. You cannot know Jesus Christ. You cannot know God the Father without the words of God. Now follow me. The fullness of every Christian then is based completely on our faith in all that God says about himself and promises to us. For instance, the God-man, Christ Jesus, Emmanuel, the one who has the fullness of the Godhead bodily, says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, if that's God's words, and that's Jesus' words, and my completion, my fulfillment in this life is wrapped up in Christ, then I have to look at what he said. And I have to base my fulfillment on the fact that though I may feel alone, and though I may feel like nobody loves me or nobody really accepts me because of failure, because of whatever, because of what I've said, because of what I've done, because I'm not of what I've done, 
What I know is this. Jesus has never left me. And he loves me. And he completes me. He has made me a child of the living God and given me the opportunity to do what I could not do any other way. Now, do I believe him or not? Because my completion is based on the promises of the Messiah. And if he said, I'm with you, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you, and I'm going to love you to the end, and my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I'm telling you that I've overcome the world, and in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, and I want to leave you my peace, and I want to leave you my joy. I just guess I need to believe him if I want to be complete in him. Now, if I'm taken captive, it's because I don't believe the promises of God. And I don't believe that he's enough. And I don't believe that he's the wonderful counselor. And I don't believe that he's the prince of peace. And I don't believe that he is God with me. See how important it is? So the promises of Christ, we find our completion there. Secondly, of course, we find it in the person of Christ. The Bible says in John 1, 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now let me ask you a question. Are you lacking truth in your life? The answer is Christ. You look at this world and you go, what do we believe what we don't believe? Well, I don't know what we do or don't believe in the world, but I do know what I need to believe in there. And that's the standard. And if whatever's said in the world doesn't match this, then I know who's true and right. It's God, right? Am I lacking truth? The answer is in Christ. Let me ask you this. Are you lacking grace? Because remember, the Bible says he was full of grace and truth. We're talking about fullness. Am I lacking the truth? Am I lacking with accepting the truth for myself and I need to confess sin? I need to make right things right with other people. I just need to confess the fact and then that truth is going to set me free. If I'm lacking that, what's the answer? Jesus. Am I lacking the grace to be able to go into, through this life? What's the answer? It's the same. Why? Because our completeness is in Christ. Are you lacking compassion? Because the Bible says Jesus beheld the multitudes and he had compassion on them because they were a sheep without a shepherd. Am I lacking compassion? What's the answer? Christ. Am I lacking mercy? Am I lacking kindness? Am I lacking love? Am I lacking generosity? Am I lacking patience? You see, the complete, Christians, the complete Christian life is complete in abiding in the person of Christ. You're never going to be complete in Christ if the only time you get this kind of interaction with truth is today and Wednesday. It's just not going to happen. Because all of the other days and all of the other hours and all the other minutes and all the other seconds that you're awake and you're intaking, it's not going to be that. And if the devil's really good at the game and this is the only time you get to hear beware and your mind is jogged toward the things of God, I'm sorry, but it doesn't look very good for you. You're not going to be complete you're, you're going to leave here feeling more energized, maybe even full. I've had people say, I'm so thankful I came to church. My cup is full. Okay? But by the time you get home, if you don't make it a living habit of abiding in Jesus Christ, your cup's going to be empty again. 
The Bible says in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except that it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. What does it mean to abide in? It means to rest in fully, completely. Ooh. Well, what do you know? We're talking about completion and the essentials of completion. So the first thing we, we need to consider when we're saying, okay, I don't feel complete in Christ, probably because there's some time that you need to spend in the promises of Christ. I need to reacquaint myself. I was, Dave and I, uh, not yet, we didn't get to this week, but last week we were talking. I was so proud of Abe. Abe Cabreros has just been saved since uh, the end of April. And I told him at the very beginning, I gave him his Bible and I said, hey, listen, I want you to do something for me. I want you to read the book of John. And I don't want you to dwell on what you don't get, what you don't understand. Just dwell on what you do. And I said, and he goes, well, what do I do when I'm done with it? I said, read it again. And so we were going through our Bible study and I said, uh, we were talking about the Bible was the, the, the discussion we were having. And I said, hey, did you ever get through John? Yes. I said, did you do the second time? He said, yes. I just got this big teasy grin. I was like, that's awesome. Did you feel like you know a little bit more about who Jesus is and the people that he walked with? He said, yes. Now that's the idea. The idea is who's he learning about? Jesus. Who's going to give him completeness? Jesus. And if I can keep people in line in scripture with Jesus, less people will be taken captive. More people will be able to, the Bible says, in 1 Peter 5, 8, he identifies the adversary. But in 1 Peter 5, 9, he identifies the action to take against the adversary. Whom resid, whom resist steadfast in the faith. So apparently, if I'm abiding in Christ, resting in him completely, and he's filling me, I have no problem to look at old smutty face and say, no. You know, like you look at your dog and you go, no. And they go, okay. And they go away. Did you know that because of who you are in Christ, the Bible says that you can rebuke the devil and he'll leave. You can resist him and he will leave. Submit yourselves unto God, period. Resist the devil, period. And he shall flee from you. That's how powerful it is, the power that you have in you to be complete in Christ. When I fully say yes, the devil has no power over you. Okay? So the promises of Christ, the person of Christ, thirdly, is the preeminence of Christ. I want you to understand something and remember this. The false teachers in Colossae did not ask the believers, just like the cults today. We talked about some cults last week. They will not tell you to forsake Christ. Okay? No religious system will tell you. Not even the, not, not the Buddhists, not the Hindus, not the Mormons not the Jehovah Witnesses, um, not Islam. They will not say forsake Christ. They simply want you to add Christ to that system. All right? They asked these believers to make Christ a part of their new system, which was man's philosophy. Have you ever had somebody say to you, I'm a spiritual person? Well, that's like a, that's like a buzzword when you start talking about to people about God and you know, church and the Bible. So, oh, I'm a spiritual. You ask them if they're going to heaven. I'm a spiritual person. I believe in God, right? And, and, and that's what they were saying. The problem with adding Jesus, the problem with adding Jesus to your life and making him a part of your philosophy as to how you should live your life, the problem with that 
is it would only remove him from his rightful place of being preeminent in your life. And I think, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that there are too many Christians who are satisfied with Jesus as their co-pilot. The problem with that is he doesn't belong in the right seat. He doesn't belong at the place where just in case your plan doesn't work, in case you pass out at the stick, in case you have a problem, in case your controls fail, Jesus can just land you safely in heaven. No, look, look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Just go back a page. Look at verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. And by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Remember, the fullness of God speaks, the, the fullness that God speaks of is shared by every believer. Okay? When he is preeminent, you, you think about, I tell people, I've had, I, I've talked to some people about getting saved, and I had this, I've had people say things like this. I just need to get some things in order in my life first. And then I'll come to Christ. I need, to, I need to straighten some things out, and then I'll get saved. And I said, there's only one problem with your philosophy. And they go, what? And I said, it's backwards. And they go, what do you mean? And I said, what you're saying is, God, I need to straighten out my life, and then I'll come to you. And what I am telling you is that you'll never come to Christ, because you're never going to straighten out your life. That's why you're here talking to me. It's because all of your life is not organized. And I said, here's the biblical way. Come to Christ, seek Christ, and he'll organize your life. You may not like it, and that's probably why you won't get saved. It's because you know that God's going to order your life differently. So you've talked to people unsaved like that? Yeah. What's the alternative? That they stay blind? Someone's got to sh- turn on the light and go, dude, or ma'am, what are you doing? Someone's got to be willing to say, if you try to get by in this life without God, it's a wrecking ball. It's a train off the tracks out of control. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you, and it'll all fall in line. One of the greatest inventions, in my, in my, uh, my opinion, is when you go to a bowling alley, and they take all of those pins that are falling down, and the next thing you know, that new frame comes down, and you go, man, that just looks right. Doesn't it? Looks amazing. You blow them up with a, whatever ball you use. And you could blow them all up. The next thing you know, 10 pins just come down. And you're like, that is the coolest thing. Because it, it, it's neat, right? And every time I look at that, I say, you know what? That's what we do to life. Is we blow it up. We do our utmost to destroy everything that's God trying to do in order. And we do that, and God says, okay, by the blood of Christ, here's what I'm going to do. Whoop, and I'm going to put it right down in front of you. It's almost like he's saying, now stop knocking all the pins down. Right? Stop trying to get that 710 split because you ain't never going to get it. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I want you to understand that. Now, now listen carefully. 
The fullness that God speaks of is shared by every believer. Remember, that's what he's saying here. He's telling these new believers, you may not know this, but I want you to hear this from God. You are complete in Christ the way you are. Wait, the way I look? Yes, you're complete in Christ. But you don't know my past. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Doesn't matter. That's to the uttermost. But you don't know what I've done since I've got saved. Doesn't matter. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. If, if you are going to confess sin, then God is faithful and just, and he's going to forgive you your sin. You're complete. You don't need to worry about what do I do with my sin? Taken care of. What do I do with my past? Gone. What do I do with my future? Surrender it to God. I'm complete. That's what he's saying. It's shared by every believer. <laughs> Think about that. These new believers are being told it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, how much money you make, where you live, how many kids you have. You're complete in Christ. He did it all for you because you can't do it. Now, that is shared by every believer. But you may say, well, then why do I feel so empty? Probably because you might be captive right now. Instead of being complete. There's some portion of your heart where the devil has a place. Ephesians chapter 4. And as soon as he gets a place, he's not content until he has more. And God says, no, no. If you don't feel my completeness, it's probably because there's some portion of your life that's been taken captive. So let's finish this. Essentials of completion is all in Jesus Christ. Number four, this is, this is the practical end of it. What is your experience with Christ? Let's talk about the experience with Christ. We learned this verse on Sunday. First Peter 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Psalm 34 invites us all, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted in him. What is your experience with Christ? Letter A, are you in Christ? The Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Are you saved? Are you not saved? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. New toward what? Being complete in him. Do you understand that the... I'm going to piggyback on Sunday's message. Do you understand that your life before Christ and anything that you could ever possibly have been involved in before Christ is useless to God. Do you understand that? It's useless. He does not need any of your old man to complete you. doesn't need it. And neither do you. You don't need it. Why are you holding on to it? Paul says, put it off. Forsake it. In fact, the Bible says to mortify the deeds of your flesh. Crucify it with its affections and lusts. All that are in Christ. The, the fact of the matter is, God does not need any of your past to complete you. He doesn't need any of your past to save you. He's done it all. So if God doesn't need it, why do you feel like you do? If you're not complete in Christ, it's probably because you've been taken captive. The question that I have for you is, are you saved? If you are saved, secondly, letter B is, are you established? By the way, how many understand that even a home, even though it was built on a very firm foundation, can have it cracked? Right? 
get a little shaky. That doesn't mean that the house is going to necessarily fall, but it can be it can be cracked. It can shift, right? Look at verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. The word established there means to make firm or reliable so as as to warrant security and inspire confidence to strengthen. Now watch, when you got saved, you got saved only by God's grace on the blood of Jesus Christ. That foundation was laid, right? But you may not still be standing very solid on that. Follow me? The cool thing is about the foundation of Christ is it never cracks. The foundation never shifts. But sometimes the walls can get a little weak. Sometimes what happens is we look at the foundation and go, oh, I don't know if that's just okay, or we just walk completely off the foundation. Now, the cool thing is about it is we never lose that, right, if we're genuinely saved. But we can walk in such a way as we're not walking on solid ground anymore. We can feel like we're in quicksand. The devil can make us feel like, holy cow, I don't even feel like I'm saved, right? Because by any means doesn't matter it it, it it doesn't even have to be physical he could just put the thought in your mind you ever had those thoughts go through your mind like whoa where did that come from right james 5 8 be ye also patient establish your hearts for the coming of the lord draweth nine now remember the essential the essentials of completion began with the promises of christ if i'm not dwelling in those they're not dwelling in me right if i'm not dwelling on those they're not dwelling in me so now to establish myself, the Bible says rooted and built up. I have to add. I have to build. I have to work at. I have to give diligence. Because if not, what's going to happen? I'm going to be taken captive. And I'm not going to see that foundation as firm footing. First Thessalonians uh, 3.13 in your notes. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all, th- all saints. You can't get around it. In the New Testament, it's all about Christians being established in their faith. Being, what did I say? Make firm, reliable. Is your uh, Let me ask you this way. Is your faith reliable? Is it reliable? Um, my wife and I have been in contact with the Hollies since Nathan went home to be with the Lord. And every time we talk to them, remember this, their 13-year-old is never coming home. I dropped off my daughter four and a half hours away. If I really want to see her, I could drive four and a half hours and see her. They don't get that privilege ever again. This side of eternity, they'll never, ever hold their baby boy ever again. Now, think about that for a moment. Every, and, I, and here I am. That's what my wife was talking to me tonight. She goes, I guess I'm not crying because in light of what the Hollies are going through, I could pick up the phone and talk to my little girl. They can't do that. And yet every single time we talk to them, you know what we hear? Strong faith. My wife said to her today, how is it that I try to call you and encourage you and you end up encouraging me? Your little boy is dead, gone forever until eternity. And she's encouraging other people? Yes. What is that? Rooted and established. She can rely on her faith. That's the hope. That's what Paul's writing this for. To warrant security. Are you secure in your faith? If you're not, why? 
You should be because all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth in you. You are complete in him. You don't need anything else to be satisfied other than Jesus Christ. Now, you can try to live out your life without Christ, and you're going to live hollow and be deceived, and you're going to die and go to hell for the rest of your life. But there is an alternative. And when I do get saved, I can continue to deepen my love and my faith in Christ. And what happens? Now, all of a sudden, I can feel secure because the ground that I'm standing on is secure. To warrant security, to inspire confidence, to strengthen. Do you feel confident in Christ? I will tell you that there have been times in my life where I've sit in a church service, even after I was a pastor, and Reynolds not felt confident in Christ. And you've probably been there some more too. You've lived your life. You're saved. Doesn't mean you're not saved. But at some point in time, because of circumstances, because of a situation, because of a trial you go through, you just don't feel as secure at a given time as you have been before. You follow me? But that's the goal. The goal is to get you to be secure. We need to be secure. Am I established in Christ? Let me say this and I'm done. Escaping and evading is taught by every branch of the military. And it's not taught but to everybody in the military, but it's only taught to those people who, in the event of war, would find themselves, for whatever reason, behind enemy lines. Okay? They teach you to escape and evade. The training is vital to their survival as they escape and evade the enemy until they can be rescued. For instance, a downed pilot that's across enemy lines is going to remain back there until someone can rescue him. He's taught and trained to escape and evade the enemy until someone can come get him. Okay? Same thing with true with any any special forces that go behind any line, any anybody on the front line that finds themselves, oh my goodness, we're on the other side. How did we get over here? Now we have to escape and evade either until we get on the right side or until we get rescued. So E&E, they call it. Escape and evasion is what they teach people who are going to find themselves behind enemy lines. Now here's what I want you to know. <laughs> You and I live there. We live behind enemy lines every single day. And Paul was moved by God to help every believer avoid, capture, and escape spiritual peril by living in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Listen, don't let the devil tell you this week that you need something or someone else to be complete. If you're saved, you're complete in him. Don't fall prey to the devil's devices and don't be ignorant to them. Paul is trying to preserve these people so that they can, they can go on to perfection, so that they can not only grow, but they will continue long after Paul's dead and gone. All right? And that's the goal for all of us. Right? Anybody have any questions about any of that at all? All right. What I'd like to do is I'd like to break up in prayer then, and um, I'd like to... Austin, can you go run to the doors? I've seen Mom. She was outside. She's... Brayden, who did I say? You know who you are. Just go, go out there. Leave the door open behind you and see if she's trying to get in. I've seen her go back and forth by the door a couple times. And I don't know. She may be out there on purpose. Um, 